Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening from Washington, D.C., a city that has seen almost everything but nothing in recent history, at least like what we saw today. A current senior administration official admitting to being part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. Let's just think about that for a moment. A current senior official working in this White House, writing in secret to alert the American people about what he or she is witnessing and attempting to prevent the president of the United States from doing. A current senior official working with others inside the administration to frustrate actions by the president that they believe would actually harm the country. The headline by this anonymous person reads, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. But the headline is not even the most stunning part of what this person has to say. The official writing in The New York Times, quote, we believe our first duty is to this country and the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. That is why many Trump appointees have vowed to do what we can to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he's out of office. This is not some Democratic operative writing this. This is somebody working in the Trump administration. This comes, of course, just one day after details emerge from Bob Woodward's book, details that sound very similar to what the senior official is saying. Listen to what else this official says about the president. Quote, the root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he's not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. The writer does point to administration successes, but says they've come, quote, despite, not because, of the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. The official went on to say meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants, and his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. This is where an already remarkable document sails into even deeper waters. Quoting again, given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis, so we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until, one way or another, it's over. That line, until, one way or another, it's over. Let's just pause here. According to this official, people inside the administration, people in the cabinet we're whispering about invoking the 25th Amendment. It's staggering. This is not by any means normal. The 25th Amendment, of course, provides for the removal of a president who's no longer fit to serve. Now, after the story broke, the Washington Post data reporter noticed that for a brief time today, Google searches on the 25th Amendment topped searches for Kim Kardashian, who was at the White House today. Late today, the president reacted, responding to a reporter's question during a gathering of local sheriffs at the White House. It goes on at some length. We've cut out a long digression on the economy, but it's important to hear the fullness of the president's reaction so you can get a better sense of the tone and perhaps his frame of mind. 
first this is what we have to deal with. And, you know, the dishonest media, because you people deal with it as well as I do. But it's really a disgrace. Uh, I, I will say this. Nobody has done what this administration's done in terms of getting things passed and getting things through. Nobody has ever done in less than a two-year period what we've done. So when you tell me about some anonymous source within the administration, probably who's failing and probably here for all the wrong reasons. Now, and the New York Times is failing. If I weren't here, I believe the New York Times probably wouldn't even exist. And, and someday, and someday when I'm not president, which hopefully will be in about six and a half years from now, the New York Times and CNN and all of these phony media outlets We'll be out of business, folks. They'll be out of business because there'll be nothing to write and there'll be nothing of interest. So nobody has done what this administration has done. And I agree, it's different from an agenda, which is much different than ours. And it's certainly not your agenda, that I can tell you. Thank you. It's about open borders. It's about letting people flee into our country. It's about a disaster and crime for our country. So. They don't like Donald Trump, and I don't like them because they're very dishonest people. Remember this also about the New York Times. When I won, they were forced to apologize to their subscribers. They wrote a letter of apology. It was the first time anybody's ever done it because they covered the election incorrectly. So if the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. We've done more than anybody ever thought possible in, it's not even two years. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Those are current law enforcement personnel, by the way. The president earlier this evening, and after that, a one-word tweet, all caps, treason. That wasn't all. Just a few minutes ago, he tweeted again, quoting, quoting now, does the so-called senior administration official really exist, or is it just the failing New York Times with another phony source? If the gutless anonymous person does indeed exist, the Times must, for national security purposes, turn him, her, over to government at once. Perspective now on what we're seeing tonight from someone who spent time inside the preceding administration, John Kerry, former Secretary of State, Senator, presidential candidate, and obviously a highly decorated Vietnam vet. He writes about all of it in his new memoir, Every Day is Extra. I spoke to him just before air. Secretary Kerry, I want to get your reaction, first of all, to this anonymous op-ed in The New York Times from a senior administration official who's vowed to, quote, preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he's out of office is there anything you can compare this to? No. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. And I think, obviously, it's going to create an enormous fight over uh, the credibility and, and uh, the propriety, et cetera. But when you separate it, when you really look at this memo, when you recognize that the New York Times does know who it is, and they have very carefully approached this, and you add this to what is in... Uh, Bob Woodward's book, and, and which everybody knows, he tapes people that he talks to. Uh, he's probably the single most credible investigative reporter in the country. 
if not the world. And uh, he knows his methodology and his publisher knows the methodology. And the lawyers who support both of those, him and the publisher, know the methodology. So the credibility level against a president who has now been found clearly to lie on a daily basis uh, and has a serious problem with the truth, uh, that's the balance here. And so we have a presidency which is uh, off the rails. We have a presidency in which the president is clearly now, according to this uh, op-ed, which the New York Times knows who the author is, we have a president who is not capable of doing the job, who clearly has these temper tantrums, doesn't know enough to be making many of the decisions he makes. And we, we see the evidence of people stealing a, a presidential document off his desk. We see a general, the Secretary of Defense, ordered to kill another leader, a leader of another country who turns to everybody after the phone is hung up and says, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, this is unbelievable. This is a presidency that this is a genuine constitutional crisis. And the crisis is heightened by the fact that my former colleagues in the United States Senate on the Republican side, who have taken an oath of office to defend the Constitution and the institutions of our country as a whole, which are embraced in that oath, uh, are defending instead not the Constitution, not the institution of the Senate. They're defending party and the president who simply doesn't know what he's doing. This uh, unnamed senior official talked about whispers among cabinet members about the 25th Amendment and, and invoking that. Is that something you think should be discussed openly? Well, that's not up to me to decide. I mean, that's, and I don't even have enough of the inside knowledge to be able to measure that against uh, its standards. They do. That's the point I'm making. There are people walking around Washington in the cabinet, in offices all across this administration, and particularly in the Senate and the House. I mean, this is exactly what Paul Ryan has talked about in certain ways and hinted at very directly. Uh, but when you add this up with the president's performance in Helsinki, where he stood with Putin toe-to-toe, but melted, uh, never went toe-to-toe, never defended the interests of our country, never held President Putin accountable for what he has been doing, but melted away saying it was a wonderful idea to have an American ambassador actually traded off to go to Russia and, and, and be subjected to interrogation there, who then, after people got to him and said that's a terrible idea, backed off. But his initial instincts, again and again and again, in a tweet yesterday, he steps over a line where he publicly chastises the attorney general of the United States for doing his job, for upholding rule of law, and suggests that he should have, in fact, been political and not upheld the rule of law for political purposes. This is a serious moment for our country. And I hope that people in the United States Senate and the House will recognize leaders all across the world are making judgments about our president and our country and all kinds of risks as a result of what they're reading about this presidency and the United States. This is dangerous. I have spoken to, to General Michael Hayden on this program about what he calls the thin veneer of civilization. He talked about Sarajevo as being a multicultural society that fell apart very quickly. He's concerned that this is a thin veneer that we have here, that we think the institutions are strong and, and on bedrock, uh, but, but things can fall apart. Are you scared about 
the possibility of that, of the future of democracy in America? I believe that our institutions are strong. And I believe very deeply that uh, what is required now is not the institutions. We have the institutional structure. I mean, remember, Anderson, many of us are veterans of the 1968 to 1973 period. I mean, we suffered the assassinations of Medgar Evers. You write about this in the book a lot. Robert Kennedy, correct. And I talk about this in the book. It's an amazing journey that our country has taken over the last 70 plus years uh, with the end of World War II and the world we have built around a set of values since that period of time. But all of a sudden, that is all being thrown into a mixer. And the test now is for our institutions to stand up. And how do they do that? They do that through the leadership of individual men and women, the people who have been elected to uphold our Constitution and to stand up to defend the United States of America and our institutions. So this is a moment where uh, it's a crisis of conscience for people in the United States Senate on the other side of the aisle, where they have been willing to be more protective of their chairmanships, of their party, of their president than they have of the Constitution and the institutions themselves. Well, you know, I mean, in reading your book, I mean, you do. You talk about the lies that were told to the American people throughout the war in Vietnam by politicians, by by the military in in, in many cases, um, you know, the, the bombings, the assassinations, all the things, the enemies list that 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 we as a country went through. Is the time we're in now more dangerous than that time? Because that, that when it is I more was dangerous. Up, that seemed like the country was being torn apart. Yes, it is more dangerous. Uh, and, and the reason is more, there are several reasons, a number of reasons it is more dangerous. For one thing, uh, today, uh, we have a president who clearly uh, is not equipped to do the job. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the details, but everybody in Washington knows this. He's not fit for the, for the job. I, I don't believe he is, given what we have seen, given the proclivity to tell lies, uh, given the fact that he... Uh, has still not accepted the truth of what the intelligence community has said about Russia's hacking and involvement. I mean, he mouths the word sometimes, but then he goes out and reverses it. Given the quixotic, impulsive behavior that he engages in, uh, and, and, and given the lack of willingness to even make decisions for our people that are based on scientific fact or on other facts. I believe this is a, you know, a moment of enormous Uh, consequence to our country. And my hope and prayer is that people will stop hiding, that leaders who've been elected to lead will actually lead, and that they will step up to this moment, uh, which is serious, because there are threats in the world, the lost opportunity uh, to our country in the context of trade agreements, in the context of nuclear agreements, uh, of of, uh, a world which is more dangerous today because of cyber and a president who isn't even tackling cyber with the so, levels of respect necessary. Now, I talk about a lot of these things in my book, even though my book is not a policy book, but it shows the journey we've taken over, over well, our history and how and why we are able as individual citizens to make a difference and pull ourselves back from this brink. And that, I think, makes the book timely. Secretary Kerry, the book is Every Day is Extra. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anderson. Appreciate it. There's a lot more ahead tonight. Things are moving fast tonight. We're going to go to the White House for the president's late reaction to the resistance he's facing inside his own White House. It's stunning to say the words. Uh, uh, 360 Live from Washington continues. We'll be right back. 
Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I slash CNN. President Trump reacted angrily uh, late today to word that one of his senior officials is working against him, along with others, and admitting it on the New York Times opinion pages, he said that hopefully by the time he's out of office in six and a half years, he said, the Times, CNN, and what he called other phony media outlets would be out of business. He tweeted out the word treason with a question mark, just that one word, treason. And this comes on top of the news earlier today that the White House has launched a, a witch hunt to find the source or sources who spoke to Bob Woodward for his book on the Trump administration. Quite a day. CNN's Jeff Zeleny joins us now from the White House. So, Jeff, we heard what the president had to say a little earlier. What more do we know about the White House's reaction, first of all, to the op-ed? Well, Anderson, we're seeing in real time the president really taking the reins of this strategy for how to respond to this extraordinary op-ed in The New York Times. Earlier this evening, he was talking to a group of sheriffs, and he was uh, you know, essentially going after uh, the uh, substance of the editorial, calling it uh, gutless. Uh, but then just a few moments ago, as you were saying, he's now uh, sort of pivoting somewhat and going after a favorite target of his, The New York Times. He's talking about the so-called uh, a source, talking about uh, you know, did they sort of make this up. But that is not at all what White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders uh, was saying in an earlier official statement from the White House when she was going directly after this individual who wrote the op-ed. Take a look at what she said just uh, um, a short time ago this evening. She said this, the individual behind this piece has chosen to deceive rather than support the duly elected president of the United States. He is not putting country first, but putting himself in his ego of the will of the American people. This coward should do the right thing and resign. So that clearly aims squarely at this individual. Uh, And frankly, we don't know the gender of the individual, if it's a man or a woman. The New York Times does know this. But the president making the pivot to blame all of this, Anderson, on The New York Times. And as much as the president is trying to dismiss Bob Woodward's book, uh, he does want to know who who talked to Woodward, right? I I used the term witch hunter earlier, kind of uh, obviously ironically. uh, But I mean, understandably, he wants to know... Uh, and, you know, it's from his perspective, it's absolutely fair that he would want to know exactly who talked to Woodward and what they said. No question. We've heard the president throw out the term witch hunt so much this year talking about the Russian investigation. But the reality is I was talking to administration officials here earlier today, long before this New York Times report came out. And they said, in fact, the president did want to know who talked to Woodward and who didn't talk to Woodward. He was keeping a list and keeping uh, you know, a careful eye on who was uh, you know, uh, issuing denials, who was not. And you know, several people were not issuing uh, denials who were mentioned in this book. But there's no question, Anderson, tonight this witch hunt, an actual witch hunt, you know, despite the one that he talks about all the time, now extends to the person who wrote this New York Times op-ed. There's a variety of, uh, you know, it's a game of whodunit here inside the West Wing, no doubt about it. But also there is a, a full-on look by researchers and others trying to look into language and other things if anything looks familiar. But, Anderson, I cannot imagine the president will let this uh, let this lie. So this is something that will continue as he watches media coverage of this. Of course, he's scheduled to be campaigning tomorrow in Montana, 
holding a big rally, he'll certainly have something to say about it there. Anderson. Yeah. Jeff Zelling, thanks very much. Perspective now from Gloria Borger, Michael Caputo, uh, Paul Begala, Max Boot, and David Axelrod. Um, Gloria, I mean, you can't blame the president for wanting to know who would have said these things. I mean, sure. whether you agree with what they said or not, uh, if you're the president, you would want to know what the people around you are thinking. Right. And uh, if people are taking stuff off your desk, you would want to know who's doing it. Right. That. And I mean, and, and he does. And we know that he is a micromanager. Um, but we also know, Anderson, that what is going on here is nothing less than what Woodward calls in his book uh, an administrative coup d'etat. Taking papers off a president's desk so he doesn't see them. What is what is that all about? I mean, and why didn't the president know that things were missing from his desk is another question. But also in this op ed that we're that we're talking about uh, this notion uh, that this author wrote that early on in the administration, there were whispers among cabinet officials about invoking the 25th Amendment, which would effectively it's difficult to do, but which would effectively remove the president. So even paranoids have enemies. And so this president knows he's got a lot of enemies all around him. And I fully expect that probably after the midterm election, a lot of the people who are now working for the president will be gone, either of their own accord or because they get fired. Also, Michael, I mean, it's one thing to have Bob Woodward, you know, doing these interviews on deep background and stuff, to have what the New York Times says is a senior administration official writing this. I mean, have you ever heard of anything like this? No, I've got to tell you, this scares the living daylights out of me. Uh, This is the New York Times who... We spoke earlier about this, you know, who, uh, you know, really talked a lot about and discussed and then published the Pentagon Papers. Uh, There is somebody working for the president of the United States at a very senior level uh, who is trying to destroy him. And, of course, you might call it a witch hunt. I would call it something similar that rhymes with that. But uh, this is really disturbing. You don't you don't take the coin of the realm and then and then betray the trust of the president of the United States. And and in addition, the working men and women of America, we know that the the bravest and the brightest of this nation, they don't, you know, stab their boss in the back and complain about them anonymously. I'm furious about this. And I I think that this anonymous op-ed writer must be found, uh, must be fired, must be investigated. And if they've leaked classified information or something in the past, they must be prosecuted and jailed. Paul, I mean, what's so stunning about it, first of all, I'm not even sure it's a stab in the back. It seems like a stab <laughs> right directly in the front. Not when it's anonymous. Well, uh, yeah, but but the idea that this, you know, if you think, okay, you know, the president called Bob Woodward Democratic operative yesterday, this is, according to the New York Times, a senior administration official right. saying these things and somebody who claims to want the president's agenda to move forward and to work, but is saying... The best parts of what the president has done have happened in spite of the president. It's stunning. We have never seen anything like this. And, uh, of course, I don't support President Trump, so I loved every word of it except one. Anonymous. Right. Michael's exactly right about that. Sarah Sanders is right. This person should have the guts to stand up. If he or she believes the president is a threat to the nation, he or she should stand up and say so, so then we can act on it. Um, the 25th Amendment is there. It's shocking to me that they, I have never called for invoking that. I, it's shocking to me that people very close to him who see him every day think that, in fact, he may be in, unable to serve. But, but th- that's, I think, the disservice. We should be talking about whether our president is fit to serve. You, you now have uh, officials from the former secretary of state to the current secretary of defense, the former national security advisor, the former head of the National Economic Council, the secretary of the Treasury, all calling our president 
horrible things. Idiot, dumb, his lawyer called him dumbbell, allegedly, according to, right? That's what we should be talking about, not the anonymity of the, so, so it's, you know, this is not deep throat, it's deep state, mm-hmm. I don't know, but the, I think that's, that's a, a well, huge problem. Well, I mean, you know, uh, Max, uh, I think it was Jamie Gangel last night saying, you know, deep throat was one person. It seems like there are, and she was making the point that there are multiple deep throats in this administration. Well, clearly, uh, the anonymous op-ed writer is speaking for an awful lot of people who see President Trump up close, some of whom are also quoted in the Bob Woodward book. I mean, in some ways, I think even before the Mueller report, Anderson, we are in a worse position than we were in Nixon's final days, because with Nixon, you could certainly doubt his moral capacity to do the job, but nobody could doubt Nixon's intellectual capacity. On the other hand, with Trump, the people who work for him are saying not only is he amoral, as this op-ed writer says, but he's also too stupid. He doesn't understand the basics of the job, so he can't carry out his duties. And I agree with what Paul Begala is saying. We should be talking about invoking the 25th Amendment. We should be talking about impeachment. If people in Congress took their oaths of office seriously, that's what they would be doing. But unfortunately, Republicans are putting party loyalty above patriotism. They are acting as protectors for Donald Trump because he still has the support of their base. And so they are allowing this travesty to continue. And, and, I mean, David Axelrod, the, uh, the idea that this is somebody who is still working in the White House, still in, in the inner circle, I mean, is the president, in your opinion, uh, right to be talking about treason, right to be outraged by this? I don't think he's right to be talking about treason. He, he, he has a right to be outraged uh, that people aren't showing loyalty to him. But I don't think he understands uh, loyalty to the people around him. And more than that, what was striking about that New York Times piece was the person who wrote it said that they felt first loyalty to the country. And that's the oath, of course, uh, that everyone takes. And so this needs to be viewed in that regard. I, I just want to... Uh, pile on to a couple of other points here. You know, Jeff said there's a whodunit going on in the White House. The thing is, uh, this is like murder on the Orient Express. There are so many hands on this bloody knife that there's no one person the president can turn to. He's surrounded, apparently, by people who believe that he is incompetent, who believes that he's intemperate, who believes that there are real questions about his ability to govern. On this issue, however, of the 25th Amendment, uh, you know, I, I, I sense the angst of the person who wrote that piece and perhaps others around uh, the president because he is the duly elected president. Can you imagine what the reaction in this country would be, at least among the, the people who supported Donald Trump, if he were removed by a vote uh, of the cabinet. That's a very, very serious step for our democracy uh, and uh, never been taken, really. And yeah. so uh, I can understand why they're why they're hesitant and why they've adopted this strategy of trying to surround the president and protect the country from him rather than fomenting uh, a crisis in our democracy. We're going to continue the conversation after a quick break. It's an important one. And as we mentioned, President Trump responded to the op-ed on Twitter. One tweet was just that single word, a single punctuation mark, treason, question mark. We'll talk about that next and more. Remember, to create an ad like this one, Visit purewinning.com slash CNN. The breaking news tonight, a person described as a senior Trump administration official dissecting the president's work habits and policies in an op-ed with the headline, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. President Trump tweeting the word treason with a question mark, suggesting the op-ed author is a traitor. 
just reference here's the legal definition. Whoever owing allegiance to the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death or shall be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title, but not less than $10,000 and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Nothing there about a newspaper op-ed. Back now with our Gloria Borger, Michael Caputo, Paul Pagala, Max Boot, and David Axrod. It's interesting, though, because uh, according to Woodward, treason is also the, the word that the president had brought up when Gary Cohn came in talking about resigning in the wake of, of, of Charlottesville, right. whether he actually means it as being treasonous or just incredibly disloyal. And, and remember, John Brennan, former CIA director, called the president... Right. treasonous. So it's a word that people are throwing around. Yeah, words a lot. have lost their meaning. Yeah, right. they, they have, they have right. lost their meaning. But if you're Donald Trump right now and you're paranoid to begin with and you've, you say you value loyalty, although I would argue he never returns loyalty. He demands it from people but doesn't give it back. If you're the president right now, I think you're going a little berserk. Well, you, know what's, you know what's interesting is, is when uh, I remember when uh, uh, Joe Klein wrote uh, that book, and everyone, to people didn't know it was Joe Klein. Must, people yeah. searched, and finally they did some sort of algorithmic search of the writing of it, and were able to figure out it corresponded to Joe Klein. Then he admitted, but that was a parlor game, right? Well, right. But but yeah. that. But what's interesting is people will probably try to do that with this. Oh. But but there are there are phrases that that are probably intentionally used to throw people off because they use the phrase "off the rails," which is a phrase according to Woodward that uh, uh, Gen- uh, General Kelly had used. If General Kelly had actually used that word, it's very unlikely he would use that phrase in this letter if he was writing this letter. Yeah. That's right. There, there is, uh, it, it, I've seen this before too, where mm-hmm. people would uh, uh, sit in a meeting, listen to someone, write down words that she or he used frequently, and then leak with those words so that the president thought that person was a leaker. Wow. Pretty scummy. That's a pleasant uh, atmosphere. Yeah, well, believe me, this, this that, you, you've seen Washington. that happen. Right. I mean, that, really. from, yeah. my, from my perspective, this is one of the most tightly written op-eds I've seen. This, the, the, every word is used intentionally. That's why I think that there are words that are put in there. The reference to John McCain tries to throw people off. I think it's. I think there, there's a real good place to start to try and find this person. I mean, it's a little-known fact that in uh, Trump's Washington. Um, uh, there's, a, there's been a steady purge of Trump campaign supporters from the Trump administration. There are departments, the cabinet departments, that are completely devoid of anyone who supports Donald Trump. And from my perspective, the president should find out what departments have completely purged Trump supporters and start there. Why, why would there be a purge of Trump supporters yeah. from cabinet? Because the, the plotters behind this op-ed, the plotters behind destroying Donald Trump, who are working for Donald Trump, every single one of them, a coward, um, are, are purging these people because they want to surround themselves. Right now, if you want to but, get into the Trump administration, you can't have worked for the Trump campaign. You must to, have worked for but, Bush. But, Michael, they would argue but, what they're trying to do is save the country and, mm-hmm. not, and not destroy Donald so Trump. So quit, stand up, and be... Well, I agree d- with don't you. Don't be a coward. David, David, what do you make of that argument, uh, which is made in this op-ed, <laughs> that... They, their first duty is to the country, and frankly, that they're trying to protect the president from the president from his own worst impulses, and and continue his agenda without him messing it up. Yeah. Well, look, I, uh, I I said as I said earlier, you do take an oath, and the oath is not to the president. The oath is to the country. The president expects your loyalty. You, of course, expect his. Uh, that hasn't been the case. Uh, in the Trump White House. But I think we could get wrapped around the axle about who the author of this particular piece was when the real 
question is, what about the substance of the piece? What about the substance of the Woodward book? The fact is, these are very, very serious charges about the president of the United States, and they are legion. They are serial. They have been, we've seen them in reporting from the beginning of this administration. The sources are, are widespread, and many of these quotes are laid to people who are close to him. Uh, I don't think the issue is who wrote this. It's interesting. I'd love to know. I'm sure we may find out someday. The real issue is, what about the president himself? And uh, and what does this say about the country and about his particular future and how we're going to move going forward? And well, Max, Max and, you, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, picking up on David Axelrod's point, you know, uh, although it's kind of bizarre that you have a senior administration official who is criticizing the president behind the cloak of anonymity, I think you have to understand this is an an incredibly unusual, indeed unique situation, something we've never faced, a president who is so completely unfitted for office that those around him believe that their duty to the United States is not to serve the president's agenda, but to protect uh, the United States from the president. And I think they are actually being patriots in doing that. And you can argue about what is the best method of doing that. Should they resign en masse? Should they call for impeachment? Should they advocate a Democratic vote in November? I think there are good arguments for all that. But there's also a good argument for doing what people like Mattis are doing, which is quietly working behind the scenes to prevent the president from carrying out his worst impulses. And, you know, the writer of the op-ed is somewhere in the middle between that. I mean, he's he or she sounds like they're working behind the scenes, but they also are coming out for the first time. So that's kind of a bizarre combination. But, you know, I think we should applaud these people who are, in fact, performing an important function in trying to rein in the president. And they're usually not successful. But imagine how much worse it would be if they were not there. But, you know, it's interesting, Gloria, the president today was saying that They've had very strong statements about from Mattis. They've had strong statements from Kelly, uh, sure. you know, refuting the Woodward stuff. I mean, frankly, the statements haven't been that strong. I mean, right. Kelly said he didn't use the word idiot. Right. He didn't talk about off the rails, worst job he's ever had. Right. A lot of them. Right. A lot of them. A lot of them were vague. There were people we didn't hear from. Rob Porter, for example. Did we hear from Gee, Rob why. Porter? Right. <laughs> we, so there are people we, we didn't hear from. The president wants everyone to say that the book is false. Uh, fake news never happened. Woodward is, is a bad reporter. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. And we and we know that. And I think the, the person who wrote this was trying to do a patriotic thing here and trying. Look, and I agree with you, should not have been anonymous, should not have been anonymous. But this person is effectively saying that the president of the United States is a national security risk. But this is a plot against the president. I believe this op-ed is coordinated with the book, and I believe this is about the midterms. I believe this is about setting the president up for impeachment. And by trying to keep his base home, we lose more Republican seats, the Republicans lose the House, and the president gets impeached. That's what this is about. Let's get a little far ahead. Uh, I mean, not far ahead for me. What we really ought to be talking about, the president ought to be talking about. And his senior aides in the cabinet are, is he in fact unfit? Is he a narcissist? Is he amoral? Is he, in the words of his secretary of the treasury, an idiot? His secretary of state called him an effing moron. His national security advisor called him a dope. Reportedly, (laughs) and and in published accounts, uh, the the general Kelly apparently uh, denies it, but he apparently called him an idiot. Uh, his, his lawyer, Jay Sekulow, is quoted in the Woodward book calling him a pathological liar. These are big things. And that's what we ought to be talking about. The anonymity of this person, I think, uh, gives Trump a huge cudgel to yes. stir up all this deep state nonsense. So there's a coup going on. The, there the is bigger, a coup going on. The bigger question is, is the president fit to lead the greatest country on God's earth? And I think the evidence is no. I believe I, I agree with Esquire and The Atlantic that this is a coup. 
I don't ever thought I never thought I'd say I agree with the Atlantic or the Esquire, but this is a coup. That's what this is. It's an administrative coup. It's a soft coup. It's a kooky coup. Whatever you want to think it is. Cuckoo cachoo. I have no idea. But here's the thing. But it's- this is about this is about impeachment. This is about getting rid of the president. And these betrayers should stand up. Be counted and get lost. But don't you think this could help Donald Trump? Donald Trump could yes. go out there now and say, my enemies want to get me. Right. Get out there and vote for me mm. in the midterm elections. Right. And this could and this could help him if he if he turns it around so that I don't believe that's the motive. I no. believe the motive is more pure than you believe. That's not right. the kind of help we need. Let's uh, <laughs> thank everybody. The Senate Judiciary Committee is working into the evening tonight as it hears from Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh on day two of his hearings coming up. How the day went. What comes next? And then I- I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee is still at work tonight. Senators questioning Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Each senator has been given half an hour for questions. The day has been long. It's not quite over yet. At one point, South Carolina's Lindsey Graham asked Kavanaugh about Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to an abortion. Can you sit down with five, you and four other judges and overrule Roe v. Wade just because you want to? Senator Roe v. Wade's an important precedent of the Supreme Court, been reaffirmed. Don't you have to have a case as a, I mean, you just can't, yeah. hey, what are, you, what are you doing for lunch? Let's overrule Roe v. Wade. I, 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 it doesn't work that way, right? I, I see what you're asking, yeah. uh, Senator. Right. There's, there's, the way cases come up to us in that context or in other contexts would be a law's Can passed. I give you- this is a precedent that's been reaffirmed many times over 45 years, including in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where they specifically considered whether to overrule and reaffirmed and applied all the stare decisis factors that importantly became precedent on precedent in this in this context. Uh, But you look at uh, there are factors you look at whenever you're considering any precedent. So there's a process in place that the court has followed for a very long time. Is that correct? That is correct, Senator. Joining me now is CNN's chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, former federal prosecutor Ann Milgram, Kerry uh, Severino, chief counsel for the Judicial Crisis Network, and former Congressman Charlie Dent. Uh, Jeff, you'd said that abortion would be legal in many states if Kavanaugh is confirmed. I'm wondering what you make of, of that response. I think I'm right. I think, you know, that that statement is true. The Roe v. Wade has been has been reaffirmed for many years for many years. But. Donald Trump promised during the campaign that if he has the chance to appoint two justices to the Supreme Court, there are already four votes to overturn it. Uh, Anthony Kennedy was a vote to uphold Roe v. Wade. I think this is a done deal. There will be states very soon in the next couple of months that will pass laws not limiting abortion, outlawing abortion. South Dakota, Mississippi, Alabama, those cases will go up. And they will be upheld. I think and, I mean, that's, you know, elections have consequences. Donald Trump promised this. He will deliver it. It was interesting because and, uh, Lindsey Graham was saying, well, it's not like you just do this over lunch. You have to have a case. To Jeff's point is They'll there will case. be cases. Jeff's right. I mean, th- this is probably already in the works. And even if they don't overrule the exact precedent of Roe v. Wade, they, I believe, will allow a huge number of, of restrictions and regulations on it. So I agree with Jeff. I think it's likely that they will overrule Roe. But even if they don't, they will be able to significantly, I think, cut back 
on the protections that it's offered. And state after state, I think, will come forward that are interested in doing that. Kerry, uh, Kavanaugh asserted that he understood the significance, obviously, of the issue. And he said he would respect the Supreme Court's precedent on precedent, saying, I don't live in a bubble. I understand I live in the real world. What does that mean to you? Well, he understands that there are every, every justice in the Supreme Court knows that that some precedents get overruled. And he, there's there's principles you follow to determine when to do that. And he understands what those are. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what we saw here is a judge who takes the cases as they come to him and tries to analyze the facts and the law in each particular case. So he's not prejudging these cases as he shouldn't to protect the independence of the court. I think he's going to take the case and, and decide, you know, with the cases that come. I think it's very premature to predict that I think Chief Justice Roberts is really the swing vote here on that issue. And, you know, we've been people have been speculating since Kennedy and O'Connor and Souter were confirmed that they would be the next vote. So, you know, that's that's all speculation. What we see is 12 years in the courts applying the law faithfully. And I think that's what we continue to see from Kavanaugh. The, the only people who don't think Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned are people like Harry who have been fighting for years to get Roe v. Wade overturned. I mean, look, you know, that this this is the great cause of the conservative movement. They got their justices. This is what they're going to deliver. I mean, you know, th- all of a sudden they they're so unsure. They said that in the 80s. They said that about Justice O'Connor. They said that about Justice Kennedy and you know, Souter. They're the ones who, who wrote the case over, uh, upholding it. You know, I, I, I'm just saying it, it, you're, you're, you're making a speculation. Congressman Dent, how do you see it? Well, look, I, I actually voted to support abortion rights uh, as a member of Congress. And I, I, I'm not so convinced that this justice would, or, or that the court will overturn Roe v. Wade, as you said. We heard it about O'Connor. We heard it about Kennedy. And we're hearing it again. I think it should be lawful and legal. Legislatures and, and Congress are always passing laws or attempting to pass laws that restrict or further restrict a woman's right to choose. The 20-week abortion bill, for example, that ban, and there are others. So my, my, my own view, I, I, don't, I think it's just too hard to predict what they're going to do. Who thought that John Roberts was going to be the vote to uh, uphold Obamacare? Uh, I didn't see it. We, we all got it wrong. One of the things that came out today, though, and I thought Senator Whitehouse actually did a very good job of showing how often Judge Kavanaugh has voted with conservative amicus that have been that have been provided to the D.C. Circuit. And it's 90 percent. And so I don't think anyone should. We knew this before. We didn't really learn anything new today. But there's no question that he is going to be a far right conservative and that his opinions and his votes are going to be consistent with that. And I don't think that that's a surprise. But I thought it was effective that Senator Whitehouse went through it today. Yeah, I, I would say if you look at his record on the court, though, the numbers were presented in a, in a way that, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways to lie with statistics. If you look at his track record in the D.C. Circuit, it's almost identical the number of times he was in agreement with Republican-appointed colleagues versus Democrat-appointed colleagues. Uh, you know, he, it's not... And it's, there's certainly it, not amicus you know, in every case as well, not so I understand case. that. And there's but. amicus on both sides in all these cases. So the idea of presenting this as a conspiracy theory... That's, that's tinfoil. Let's hold this. We're going to continue this conversation in a moment. I just want to quickly uh, check in with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo Primetime at the top of the hour. Chris? It was just getting good. Well, I know, but I got to do the promo. <laughs> you don't want to do the promo. I'm happy to go back to the conversation. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in and then you, you can go back. You know, okay. a general point that uh, I find as a, a statement of frustration and disgust is I don't see anywhere in the canon of judicial independence where the judge can't tell you anything about how they feel, about any of the questions that you ask them in specific. You know, everybody relies on that as a prophylactic. We allow all the judges to do it, and you wind up not knowing. Then they all get on the bench forever, and they all of a sudden have a bent. 
So also, I didn't like that we didn't hear from Kavanaugh about Mr. Gutenberg specifically. He talked about people with that kind of loss generally. He kind of fumbled with an answer about understanding those problems because he grew up in one of the murder capitals of America, which he didn't. He didn't grow up in Washington, D.C., grew up in Bethesda. Um, and I thought he should have handled that better. Those were my two takeaways. All right, Chris, we'll see you in a few minutes, uh, eight minutes from now on your show. Just ahead, more on the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, what he said about prosecuting a, a sitting president. More with the panel. Sir. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Senate Judiciary Committee is working into the night on day two of the hearings into Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Earlier, Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal asked the nominee whether he'd recuse himself from cases involving the president who picked him. I would like your commitment that you will recuse yourself if there is an issue involving his criminal or civil liability coming before the United States Supreme Court. To be consistent with the principle of independence of the judiciary, I should not and may not make a commitment about how I would handle a particular case. Back now with with our our folks. Congressman, should he recuse himself? Uh, No, Uh, unless he's been a judge for the past 12 years, unless he's uh, perhaps uh, deciding on a case that he ruled on previously, then maybe he should recuse himself. Or had he worked in the administration or work for this president directly, then I can understand there would be reasons for recusal. But I can't imagine why he should recuse himself in this manner. I'm surprised Senator Blumenthal would ask that as a former attorney. Yeah, Jeff, I, mean, I think that's right. I mean, every judge gets appointed every justice by some president. is nominated by some president. And, you know, th- that, that is just the, the nature of the system. And that alone is not, you know, Elena Kagan recused herself because she was solicitor general. She prepared some of the cases that were, that were going when she worked for Obama and then Obama nominated her with with uh, Kavanaugh. I mean, he's just a judge. He's appointed, nominated. If he's confirmed, I, I don't see any reason for him to recuse himself. Kerry, earlier today, the, the president, I mean, Kavanaugh, said that, that nobody's above the law. He wouldn't say, though, that if President Trump pardoned himself, uh, whether that would be. Well, I think that that clearly falls into the, this whole range, which every president, you know, whatever, whatever, Chris Cuomo, we think every president or every sitting justice knows that you can't rule on a case or you can't say how you would rule on a case that's likely to come before the court. The good news is we have Kavanaugh's record, and that's really the best way to judge him. After being appointed by President Bush, he was on the the bench for two and a half more years of the Bush administration. In that short period of time, he ruled against the Bush administration eight times, against his Bush's uh, agencies 15 times, including really important major issues like like the Hamdan case, which had to do with the the tribunals for, uh, for enemy combatants. So He's not afraid to stand up to to the president who appointed him. We've seen that already. And that should that should give everything. I think everyone, I think, a lot of reassurance that he's someone who is independent. Kerry, should he be able to answer a hypothetical hypothetical question about whether the president can pardon himself? I I mean, look, 
I find it stunning that we listened to hours and hours of testimony today and learned virtually nothing. I mean, it is really, it's almost to the point of, I asked Jeff, would you like a cup of coffee? He would say to me, that's a hypothetical question. I'll, you know, figure it out in 10 minutes. It mm. was like every single thing was, this is a hypothetical. And so I find it incredibly frustrating. I think the American public deserves to know more from both sides of the aisle when they go before. So what's the and point of questions? these hearings? Well, I mean, there, you know, Chuck Schumer uh, wrote, an, wrote an article several years ago saying that they don't have a purpose, uh, that, that, you know, nominees have learned how to stonewall. And, you know, I think you learn a little bit. Um, you get a sense of, you know, how they approach cases. But it's their prior record and who chose them and why. That's yeah. really the key here. The, the testimony is not terribly illuminating. I want to thank everybody. But very long. A quick yeah. reminder, don't miss Full Circle, our daily interactive newscast on Facebook. You pick some of the stories we cover. Join us each weekday night, 625 p.m. Eastern at uh, facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle, all one word. News continues right now. I want to hand it over to Chris. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris? Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.